Thank you guys for coming. Um, as you said, my name is Caroline Malloy. The title of my presentation is Carrying Our Crosses, Suffering in the Gospels and Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. The really great men, I think, must have great sadness on earth. This quote is from the 19th century novel Crime and Punishment, written by Fyodor Dostoevsky. In a world of tears, mourning, grief, loss, pain, and suffering, we face the question, what is the purpose of suffering? This is a question Dostoevsky addresses through his complex characters and intentional plot in Crime and Punishment. Dostoevsky had his own fair share um, of suffering in his life. In 1849, after being condemned for reading banned literature, he was exiled to Siberia and instituted in a labor camp and was sentenced to death by firing squad. He was then subject to a mock execution and suffered the horrible conditions of the camp for the following five years. He describes the intolerable closeness in summer and the unendurable cold in winter. He wrote of the rotten floors with filth an inch thick, causing most people to slip and fall. And in the barracks, there was no room to even turn around. And from dusk to dawn, he described what seemed to be a struggle to behave like humans instead of pigs, trapped in rooms infested with fleas, lice, and black beetles. Because of his intelligence and curiosity to read what was considered banned literature, he was classified as one of the most dangerous criminals and was forced to be shackled until the day of his release. Suffering is real to all of us. To some, it reveals its face more plainly than it does to others. And as Christians, we ought to know what intention God has in our suffering and how it can unite our souls to Christ. Using evidence from scripture, authoritative sources, and narrative examples, I'll be exploring the idea that suffering is a necessity to the Christian life and to discipleship. Suffering has a place in all of our lives, and its purpose has been questioned and contemplated by men and women, young and old, since the Garden of Eden. Everyone suffers, and therefore, everyone must reconcile the place of suffering in their lives by addressing the following questions. What is its purpose, and how does it change us? Not all forms of suffering are solely hardship. A term I'll be using throughout this presentation is one called redemptive suffering. The main difference between a hardship and redemptive suffering is mainly dependence. One can suffer independently um, or dependently. While suffering independently builds perseverance for the sake of surviving a situation, suffering with full dependence on Christ and community builds something much stronger than human persistence. It builds eternal hope. Redemptive suffering is realized in humbly submitting to God's will and dying to oneself with the hope of living eternally in Christ. The relevance of the question of redemptive suffering is critical to each and every Christian. We live in a world of sickness, sadness, and suffering. We grieve and question things that hurt us and the ones we love. If we believe there is a purpose in every season, that God is the great orchestrator of all things for our good, we must find the place that suffering resides. In order to change our perspectives, and therefore our actions, we ought to read books, watch movies, and engage with narratives that depict redemptive suffering. And as I previously mentioned, one work that illustrates this well is Fyodor Dostoevsky's novel, Crime and Punishment. I hope to demonstrate that Crime and Punishment argues that, as Christians, redemptive suffering connects us to Christ and breeds virtue in our hearts. I'll explain how Crime and Punishment addresses redemptive suffering through its characters, how the Bible addresses redemptive suffering, and then I'll connect those two by explaining how Crime and Punishment addresses redemptive suffering not only as just a part of the human experience, but actually as a necessity to Christian life. So first, let's look at how Crime and Punishment addresses suffering. 
Dostoevsky's audience for this novel is actually 19th century Russia, a society that is amidst the most impoverished and economically challenged at the time. So poverty will be the main root of the character suffering in the novel. In the novel, Dostoevsky shows two main approaches to suffering. First, the isolated approach. This is primarily by this is primarily illustrated by the main character Raskolnikov. Rodion Romanovich Raskolnikov is a young university dropout who struggles to manage his finances. He feels guilty for relying on his mother and sister for financial support, so he decides to take matters into his own hands by murdering an old woman and inadvertently her daughter, Lysveta. He justifies his actions using a self-created ethical theory, deciding that since he is the impoverished, he is entitled to murder the women and has a right to their wealth, all in the name of justice. However, after murdering these women, his conscience torments him. He rids himself of the spoils he collected, starting down a long path of mental anguish for the duration of the novel, constantly fighting the urge to confess and accept his just punishment. In his torment, he suffers through physical sicknesses, severe paranoia, and chooses a life of isolation in order to hide his, hide his sins from the outside world. He constantly fights the desire to be found out, while paradoxically fighting his fear to confess. And throughout the novel, Dostoevsky gives the reader a view into the chaotic mind of Raskolnikov as he thinks in circles about the evidence of his murders and suffers physical ailments because of this paranoia. Physical suffering, partly due to Raskolnikov's part poverty, as well as the side effects of his severe stress, are a prominent part of his punishment. And a good depiction of his torment is found at the beginning of part two of the novel, stating, quote, He lay there a long time. Occasionally, he would rouse, and at such moments, he would notice that the night was far spent, but it did not enter his head to get up. Terrible, despairing wails rose shrilly to his ears from the street below. They were, however, only what he was used to hearing below his window between the hours of two and three o'clock in the morning. In the first few moments, he thought he must be going mad. A dreadful chill enveloped him, but this was partly the result of the feverishness that for many weeks had accompanied his sleep. He was seized with a violent fit of shivering that his teeth chattered uncontrollably and every limb shook. Raskolnikov's isolation almost drives him completely mad, but there's another route available to us in our suffering that Dostoevsky suggests through the second main character, Sonia. Sonia, Sofia Semyonova Marmeladov, her full name, comes from a broken family that suffers from poverty as well and whose financial situation is magnified due to her father's alcoholism. Because her family is trapped in poverty, Sonia is forced into prostitution to make a living. She spends her days managing the emotions of her mentally ill mother and taking care of her three half-siblings in a terribly cramped apartment with little to no food. Her nights are spent working, leaving the tattered walls of her broken family and subjecting herself to the indescribably painful and broken life of prostitution. But Sonia has something Raskolnikov doesn't. Faith. Her abounding hope in the redemption of Christ keeps her, quite literally, alive. In her small, cold apartment, where she suffers the harsh realities of her situation, she keeps a Bible which she clings to and reads daily. Sonia has, acquainted, has been, become acquainted with Raskolnikov after his befriending of her father. But when her father is tragically killed by a wagon while drunk and stumbling in the street, Raskolnikov att attempts to help her family. And over time, as his mental anguish and paranoia manifests itself, he tries to push Sonia away, and their relationship is tense. However, Sonia only responds in love and patience. Her Bible serves as her lifeline, and she shares it eagerly, eagerly with Raskolnikov amidst his situation, and eventually leads him to confession. One night, 
Raskolnikov pays a visit to Sonia's apartment and asking about her situation, learns of the deep pain she suffers within her family. She tells of her fears that her stepmother, Katerina Ivanova, will soon die, leaving the three children in her care helpless. And Raskolnikov wonders why she's not yet mad. Noticing her Bible, he begins to question her about her faith. And in response, she asks him what she could ever do without God. It is at that moment that Raskolnikov and the reader understand that faith keeps Sonia alive. And later in this scene, Raskolnikov tells Sonia to read him the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. She does so, and he realizes that this story is really close, very close to her heart. He understands that Sonia will not run from her suffering, because she desires to be brought to life again like Lazarus, and she believes wholeheartedly that she will be. While Raskolnikov chooses to suffer alone, Sonia chooses to suffer with Christ. This is a beautiful representation of how all Christians are called to be. In the midst of our suffering, we are to keep our eyes on heaven and cling to God, just like Sonia does. And as Christians, we're connected to Christ through our suffering. The Bible talks about this in many contexts, beginning with the Gospel of Luke. Here, as Jesus foretells his death and resurrection to the disciples, he also gives the instruction manual to become a disciple. He tells the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 there are two concepts Jesus emphasizes here, denying oneself and taking up one's cross. In regards to dying to oneself, this can be difficult to understand at times. It may seem ironic that we're called to love others as we love ourselves, yet simultaneously die to that very same self. However, we also know that Christians ought to be fully submitted to God's perfect will. This submission requires the relinquishing of our desire for comfort and acceptance of whatever environment or situation we're sent into by God. That's scary. In light of Jesus' death on the cross, though, we ought to recognize that claiming a Christian life means claiming a life of self-sacrifice. The second part of this command is to take up our cross. In both actions, one is fully dependent on Christ. We must give up our desires so that we can take up our cross, and we must put down our own agenda in order to pick up the Lord's. Suffering is hard. This fact remains undisputed. But the principle Jesus presents here shows that suffering is actually necessary to become a disciple. We are not called to take up our crosses and die to ourselves in vain, but with the promise of, of re the resurrection with Jesus. The resurrection is what signals the redemption of our suffering. The resurrection is what saves our souls. And to become a disciple, we must courageously take up our crosses. And it is in this action that we simultaneously lay them at the feet of Jesus. Jesus also addresses suffering in the well-known Sermon on the Mount, where he lists who is blessed, also known as the Beatitudes. Of the nine types of people Jesus blesses, six of them are situations of suffering. The poor in spirit, the meek, the mourning, the merciful, the persecuted, and the reviled. Jesus blesses us in our suffering, and in verse 12 encourages us to rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5:12. We suffer with hope. This is biblical suffering. To connect the two principles above, let's talk about how Dostoevsky illustrates this biblical call to suffering in Crime and Punishment. To do this, he uses the relationship between Raskolnikov and Sonia. On his way to make his confession, Raskolnikov pays one last visit to Sonia's apartment. There, she takes part in exactly what Jesus commands us to do in Luke 9.23. She, quiet, she quite literally eagerly accepts and carries Raskolnikov's cross because, you see, in Russian culture and tradition, close friends exchange cross necklaces, symbolizing the command from scripture. 
It is in this vein Raskolnikov asks for the cross necklaces Sonia has once mentioned to him in one of his visits. Here's a quote. Silently, Sonia took two crosses, one of cypress wood and one of copper, from her drawer and made the sign of the cross over herself and over him and hung the little cypress wood cross on his breast. This, then, is a symbol that I am taking up my cross, as if earlier sufferings have been mere trifles. The wooden one, that's the peasant one, the copper one, Lysveta, you take it for yourself. Show me. She was wearing it, then. I know of two things like these, a silver cross and a little icon. I threw them back on the cold woman's breast. They would be truly appropriate. Now I ought to put them on. You can see here that Raskolnikov sounds crazy. But Sonia puts a wooden cross on his neck and places the copper one, formerly belonging to Lysveta, Raskolnikov's murder victim, on her own. She does this as a sign of carrying his cross and bearing his burden, and as he makes his way to confess and endure whatever punishment awaits him. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, discusses the scene in the, his book, Language, Faith, and Fiction, Dostoevsky. Rowan Williams um, says that the symbolism of the actions of these characters how they hold um, what Dostoevsky himself is trying to communicate. He says, For Sonia, the exchange of crosses is an outward sign of where her energy is constantly directed. She is committed to self-sacrifice, to the acceptance of suffering. But this is neither suffering as a path to power, which Raskolnikov initially wants to try, nor suffering as pure passivity. It is the acceptance of the painful cost of action that will alter the world for others, not actions that break what must be broken in Raskolnikov terms, but the actions dictated by assuming that one is answerable for the life and good of others. She thus acts as the connecting figure between the killer and the victim. She stands before Raskolnikov on behalf of Lysbeta and Aliona, whom he killed, voicing their claim to be regarded as human. Some may argue that Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment tells a story of poverty and suffering and that it does not speak to redemptive suffering, that suffering is an evil of the human experience that ought to be grieved and merely survived. This is an understandable position. Given that humans have been threatened by nature and other accumulating conflicts that cause us suffering, which have required us historically to fight for our lives, while suffering does require immense persistence, this cannot be the only end goal for a follower of Christ. And while agreeing that perseverance and endurance are virtues every Christian must strive for, biblical perseverance relies on a key foundation, which is hope in Jesus Christ. Without this, perseverance is simply a mechanism for surviving, with the goal to return to a temporal and therefore false sense of comfort. Yet some make the argument that suffering cannot connect us to Christ, that only redemption can. And while it's crucial to maintain that redemption does in fact connect us to Christ, it does not remove the necessity of suffering. When Christ commands us to take up our crosses, he does so in order to raise us up again with him. Redemption comes when the suffering is spent. To be raised on Sunday, we must die on Friday. And as we know, it is required of us to deny ourselves and suffer in order to become a disciple. As we suffer... Together, we must remember where our hope lies as Christians and take up our crosses with humble and grateful hearts. Suffering well is an aspect of the Christian life that doesn't get much attention, yet self-sacrifice self is actually at the heart of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, like Sonia, to suffer well. I encourage you to take up your cross and the crosses of those around you. And I encourage you, like Raskolnikov, to die to yourself in order to be raised to life with Christ. Thank you.